0: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messengers before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates.
1: morning, everybody. It's good to see you and be here, worship God with you. Let's pray before we start. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Lord, you are our help and our shield help us now to understand your word that it may be planted deep in our souls and shield us from the enemy that would snatch away the truth you give us today for the glory of your holy son amen ah, so we are in the past part post part of the second discourse And after the second discourse, Jesus goes around to continue to teach and preach. Until now, we haven't seen any real strong opposition to Jesus' ministry. But if there is one underlying theme that we're going to see throughout chapters 11 to 13, if there is at least one underlying theme that we're going to see for the next three chapters, it's going to be that of disappointment and opposition disappointment and opposition and who would be more poignant to start this section than the greatest prophet to have ever lived says now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ he sent word by his disciples and said to him are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another John was still in prison still meaning since chapter 4 And if you are John, you must have wondered, what is going on? There's a lot to unpack in this section. And if you're not paying attention, then you missed a part where he said, those who have ears, let them hear. And so you're just like, it was just a blob of information that may have come. But if you're John, you're wondering what is going on, and there's a lot to pack in these 19 verses. So I just want to start start off by sharing two recent um, news stories this past week. I get to play some, I don't know, just have a a thought experiment with Esther whenever we eat dinner, just because I want to know what she thinks too. But there are some things that just um, are crazy. Uh, There are some things that are exciting. There are some things that are just out there. There There's some things that are sad. And so I keep up with news whenever I can. And in British Columbia, Uh, there was a person named Jessica Yaniv, and I was asking people, hey, do you know who this is? What's going on? A lot of people don't know, but if you Google Brazilian wax, then this name will come up, Jessica Yaniv. Apparently, Jessica Yaniv is now suing about maybe 12, something like that, Brazilian wax places, because they would refuse to give Jessica a Brazilian wax. Um, When Jessica would go... Uh, after making an appointment, they would refuse and then wondered why. But Jessica Yaniv, if, if you don't know, was born Jonathan Yaniv, and it was transgender. And so when Jessica Yaniv would go and say, I want a Brazilian wax, make the appointment, and ta-da, not a woman down there. So they wouldn't wax and say, this is, this is, this is oppression, this is terrible. And so Jessica sued. The funny part about that is they, they try to tell Jessica, we don't know how to give a Brazilian wax to male genitals. And this, this was so infuriating that took it up, sued. Now it's in the government. The government doesn't know how to handle this. So they said, in three months, we'll give you a decision. I thought that was so hilarious. I told Esther. <laughs> while we are eating dinner, hey, this is the top news story for today, what do you think? And she was very vexed. It's like, what is going on? And so this is the world we live in. Uh, if, if we were just to break down what's going on in this story, you would, excuse me, you would think there's at least 17 things, 17 things that are just, we don't know what's going on here. Um, so that was this past week. There's another story. So this is the West. There's another story on the East. Uh, Pastor Wang Yi's wife was released from being imprisoned uh, in China for six months. Pastor, Pastor Yi is still in prison. Uh, what happened was he had an underground church in China, was flourishing, was exploding. And people, people really couldn't get an exact number how fast this church was growing. But uh, they imprisoned... About half the members of the church, the imprisoned, the pastor, the pastor's wife, all the elders, without, uh, without cause, without any kind of, you know, to say they did some, some kind of crime, except that they claimed that he was saying bad things about the government or trying to overthrow the government. In fact, uh, in September of 2018, he did do a sermon Saying, we have a responsibility to tell President Xi Jinping that he is a sinner and that he needs Jesus Christ, that the government is sinning against God and for the persecution of the Church of Christ. And if he does not repent, he will perish. Three months later, he's in prison. He's still in prison now. Wife was just released on bail. This is an underground church, and reports from the underground church is they can't meet because the government has tapped their cell phones. Um, They have something called WeChat. If you're Korean, you use like cacao, and if you're Japanese, you use lime. In uh, China, you would use WeChat. They would tap their WeChat, and they would monitor even their chats. So more than five people of that same church can't even gather together. Otherwise, they're, they're afraid of being locked up again. Um, none of the elders are pastors or pastors are out yet, and people don't know what's going to go on. Most recently, they brought in new charges of saying he did something um, he, did, he committed some kind of financial fraud. There's another side to the Chinese church. Uh, this is also recent this past week. Uh, this pastor took the other route. Instead of an underground church, decided to have a church overground, meaning it was regulated by the government, and that's fine. And then recently, if you don't know, this, uh, his, the pastor's name was Pastor Song. Uh, they shut down that church, even if it was government regulated. They shut down the church, scattered the church. And throughout this whole process, he was trying to work with the government. But this past week, he jumped off the roof and committed suicide saying there's no way that uh, they were going to continue to let the church in any form or way function. And so these are things that are going on in the world today. These are things that we're facing in the West. And I like to contrast it with things that the the church in the East is facing. And you might be thinking, when you hear stories like this, it's like, what's going on? It's like, what is going on? And I think that's the heart of John. So to understand what is going on, I think that's, that's what John is feeling. He's saying, what is going on? Because if Jesus, you truly are the Messiah, why are things like this happening today? Why are these ridiculous, crazy, not just inane, but they're just not even logically comprehensible but apparently it's going through even governments. Governments are doing these things. How is this possible? And we'll see here in a bit, but John the Baptist wasn't just some schmo. He was the greatest of all prophets. And there he is still stuck in jail since chapter 4. Some commentators and thinkers have thought that by saying what John said, are you the one who is to come or shall we wait for another? Or shall we look for another? John doubted. And then they would sympathize. Well, if you were in John's shoes, who wouldn't doubt? However, other reformers and other thinkers, they it—they don't chalk it all the way up to doubt, but they say he either did it or he said this because his followers were doubting. Mind you, for this whole time he still had disciples And so he did it for the disciples' sake, you know? Disciples like, why are you still in jail if Jesus truly is the Messiah, the one that we were waiting for that would free us? And John would go, you know what? Why don't you just go ask Jesus yourself? So send him this question. That could be true. However, there's no exegetical evidence for that. And I just don't think it really doesn't make logical sense that that would happen. But I don't think John was doubting either because John is the one that went around announcing Jesus is here. He's coming. The kingdom of God is near. Be baptized and repent. That's what John was doing. But even though it was all the way up to doubt, he was in the very least confused. This is why I'm sharing the things that I'm sharing. If you see certain things that are happening, and you know Jesus is God, Jesus is king, you can't help but to wonder What's going on? And be a little bit confused. And I think that's what John was feeling. Because John, earlier in his ministry, in chapter 3 that we went over, he would proclaim, excuse me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And this is what he continues on to say his winnowing fork in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and burn up the chaff in unquenchable fire. So now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he must have wondered, wait, what is going on? I thought you were the one who was going to take the winnowing fork in his hand and finally bring judgment, finally bring judgment to those that deserve it, for their heinous crimes, because there were a lot of things that were going on, and they were heinous. And so he asks this question, are you the one we were waiting for? All of humanity, whether you want to admit it to yourself or not, we are waiting for something. We believe that once we get this something, then we can finally breathe a sigh of relief. <sighs> once we get this something, once I have enough money, because I'm so anxious right now, no money, bills are piling up. Once I have enough money, I can finally go. <sighs> or once I meet the love of my life, Everything that I dreamed of, I can finally go. Ah. Once I finally get this thing, I can go, ah. However, the Judeo Christian belief and that faith knows that what we are waiting for isn't a something, but a someone. The someone wasn't just anybody but he would be the Messiah. Once I finally get to see the Messiah, then I can go, ah. Except what? Except John wasn't going, ah, he was going, ow. So can you imagine the confusion? If you really were who we were waiting for, where's my sigh of relief? But here's the thing who's defining what relief is? Who gets to define what your relief is? Because This is where it gets a little more confusing because if you really thought that the sigh of relief would be expelled from you once you get enough money, what's the difference between you getting the Messiah or just getting a big wad of cash? There isn't. That's my point. There isn't. If you really think your relief will come once you get a big, Wad of cash. What's the difference between you saying, "Oh, the Messiah is going to give me the big wad of cash," or Are you just getting the big wad of cash? There isn't. So, I'm confused on so many levels, and I can only ask: Were you really the one we were waiting for, or is there another, like something more? <clears throat> you know, we all hold paradoxical ideas meaning ideas on reality that contradict each other. Even Carl Jung, he's not even Christian, but he would go on to say paradoxical ideas have a way of making its way out in life, into life. And you know, when paradoxical ideas, meaning ideas that contradict each other, they cannot survive within one another, but we all hold these paradoxical or contradicting ideas and they start coming and making their way way out into life. And when it does come out to life, guess what? Life and reality stops making sense because you held these ideas. They didn't make sense logically or even rationally, but you still held it. And when it comes out, what do we do? We rationalize by saying what? By saying things like, that was just bad luck. That was just bad luck. As if luck had some kind of force or power to make your reality changed. That was just bad luck. That's how we cope with it. Because in your head, it should have worked out. It should have worked out. And not only did it not work out, it was a catastrophe. I should have passed that class, but I just didn't have time to study for my final. Even though it's the biggest test of the semester, I couldn't have enough time to study as much as I should have. Does that make sense? No. You completely overestimated your ability to cram a night before the biggest exam because you decided you had other priorities. Or, I should have gotten that promotion or raise, but my boss is just terrible. No, you have no relationship with the key person that has authority over your livelihood and did not or could not develop a relationship to the point where he or she thought I absolutely need to give this person a promotional raise. So what do we do? So what do we do when things like this happen? And paradoxical ideas come out and they don't play out the way we think it should in reality. You know what we never do? We almost never challenge the ideas in our head that are blatantly contradicting each other. And so we either chalk it up to say this was bad luck, it was chance or fate as if chance or fate was some kind of entity that housed power to manipulate or, and I think this is the more common way in my opinion, we we blame others. We start blaming others for our misfortune. We may even get to a point, however, that we admit that we house these ideas that contradict each other, and therefore we need to start replacing the ideas with something that is more rationally ground or logical or tied to reality. But how do we do that? How do we do that? John here knows better. He takes this confusion and he takes it to Jesus. He takes his confusion, he takes the things that didn't make sense, and he took it to Jesus. And Jesus answers this way. And this answer, by the way, is enough for John. Jesus knew that this answer was enough for John. Jesus knows this, so he says this to John's disciples and sends them back. How does Jesus answer? Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That is enough for John. Jesus knew this. He says it to his disciples and sends them out. The blind receive sight. Something only God can do. Not only that, but the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf here, miracles, meaning things that do not have a natural explanation to it, things that only God can do, are being done that John's disciples can see. Not only that, the poor have good news preached to them, things that John's disciples can hear. And this would have pointed to some messianic prophecies. If Jesus says this and John is the listener, John, being the greatest prophet in the world, right? he would have understood this to point to all the messianic prophecies foretold before even John. And it would specifically point to Isaiah. I'm going to put, some, put up some verses. <clears throat> Can we put up that first slide? In Isaiah chapter 35, <clears throat> it says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy, which is exactly what Jesus started with. And the next one is Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. But your dead will live. Lord, their bodies will rise. Those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. And the next part about the good news to the poor is from Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And perhaps even it would point to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18, where it says, In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. So here's the fascinating part. John's disciples would have seen every single prophecy come true, come to pass before they were sent back, but every single reference to Isaiah is tied in these verses. But remember, John was thinking, where's the winnowing fork? Jesus doesn't tell them about the winning fork. Nowhere does he actually say anything about the winning fork, about judgment or anything of that nature. However, he gives these, he says these things that would have pointed to these verses. So here's the fascinating part. Remember, I'm going to go through each of the verses that Jesus would have referenced or pointed to in Scripture, the fulfillment that Jesus would do in his living in his actions and his deeds, right? The first one we went over is Isaiah chapter 35. Uh, verse five and six. Go put that one up. And right before that part, uh, is there slide five, one with the bold? There it is. Right before that part, where we talk about the eyes of the blind be open. Right, right before it is be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. It's right there. It's adjacent. It's right next to it. If you understood what Jesus is saying, judgment is right next to what He is doing. I hope you guys are seeing this. The next part I talked about was about raising of the dead, the prophecy in Isaiah 26. So let's put that one up, and I'm just gonna. I already read the other part, so I'm gonna read the bold part for you and says go my people enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by see the lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins the earth will disclose the blood shed on it the earth will conceal it's slain no longer right next to it right next to the exact prophecies jesus is saying is fulfilled let's go to even the next one Isaiah 61, about the good news to the poor, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, right? And the next part is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and what's that next line? And the day of vengeance of our God. And I said, you know, all these things could have also referred back to Isaiah chapter 29, 18, so let's go to that. Right next to that, once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel, the ruthless will vanish The mockers will disappear, and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. So if you understood the prophecies that are being fulfilled that Jesus was doing, you would understand that vengeance is right there. It's adjacent. And he's like, this is enough for John. And he sends these things says it to John's disciples and sends it back, saying this is going to be enough. John may not have understood how vengeance had not been exacted yet when Jesus was the Messiah, when Jesus came, but Jesus assures John by referring back to Scripture, specifically the Messianic prophecy, showing him the fulfilling of those prophecies, Therefore, or thereby guaranteed, guaranteed the oncoming wrath as well. Are you listening? The fulfilling of the prophecies that Jesus is doing in his life is guaranteeing the oncoming wrath as well. Just not in the way, however, that John thought it would be. So don't be offended. Don't stumble because the Messiah doesn't act exactly the way you want him to act. Blessed is the person that trusts in Jesus. And thank God for that because we get to see his mercy. Jesus said, only this, only this, because for John, this would be enough. And he sends John's disciples back. But it's not enough for you and me, okay? It's not enough for you and me. So that's why he turns to the crowd and he continues. This is good for John, the greatest prophet, okay? It's not good enough for you and me, so he continues and goes to the second part of this passage. It's what did you go out into the wilderness to see, that part that was read. Who do you think John was after you saw or after you read this? Was it like a reed shaken by the wind? Someone fickle in their faith? When you saw John ask this question, did you think it was someone fickle in their faith? No? Then what then? Someone with nice clothes? Royalty? The rich? No? No? Then who? A prophet. Yes, but Jesus adds, more than a prophet. Jesus points out about John's forerunning, meaning he's making a way for Jesus as prophesied in Malachi chapter 3. He was greater than any other prophet. John the Baptist was greater than any other prophet before him because of his proximity to the fulfillment of the promised one. He was literally able to point him out. Oh, there's Jesus. That's what made him so great. Imagine then how badly Moses or Elijah or any one of those prophets had dreamed of doing exactly what John was doing. And that's what John got to do. There he is, right there. But as great as John was, Jesus says, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. As great as John was, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Mm, You're like, what? How is that possible? What does this even mean? And so we're going to break it down. Who are the people in the kingdom of heaven? Who are the people in the kingdom of heaven? Those that follow Jesus. John and the prophets proceeded and made a way for Jesus, right? They were the forerunners. Jesus brought the kingdom, though, because he's the king. And so while John and the Old Testament prophets saw a shadowy picture of what was to come and eagerly awaited, those that follow Jesus, believers after the crucifixion, death, and resurrection, are able to see what was once a shadowy picture, but see it revealed and fulfilled. What does this mean? Christians get to participate in the full understanding and experience revealed in Christ that the prophets had been hoping for. Christians get to participate in the full understanding and experience revealed in Christ that the prophets were hoping for. Jesus is showing how blessed we really are. Do you understand the riches of God's mercy that has been bestowed upon you? Do you really Do you really understand the glorious statement of Romans chapter 5, 14? Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. And it goes on. But the free gift is not that, not like the trespass. For as many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many he's saying to the listeners those that are in the kingdom are truly blessed this is what people will be waiting for we're going to the next section about the from the days of john the baptist in verse 12. since john the Baptist's ministry until now the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force there has been violence done john is in prison Attacks from Jewish leaders are intensifying. People's understanding of the Messiah are completely twisted. They are not true. Jesus already warns his disciples that they will get persecuted, and the violent take it by force means it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Disappointment and opposition will get worse. Perhaps this is what John couldn't grasp, because Jesus here is expressly affirming the violence that is being done and going to be done to John and those who are in the kingdom of heaven. So you're like, what? Wait, the the Messiah is coming and violence is going to be done to us? The savior of the world, the people that everybody was waiting for, and violence is going to be done. The prophets up to and including John had prophesied uh, that John was Elijah and was foretold that he would be the forerunner for Jesus Christ. And then Jesus ends that little section with, he who has ears, let him hear. Every time that comes up, you know you're probably not going to understand this right away. This is something that you're going to have to sit and study and pray, have the Holy Spirit reveal it, come together as a church and go through this teaching. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's going to get bad. Are you able to hear this? It's going to get bad. Are you able to hear this? Man, you're like, okay, okay. The Messiah, finally sigh of relief. And Jesus goes, I am the Messiah. And it's going to get bad. Real bad. Are you able to listen to what I am saying? And this is the, we're going to the last part. But what to what shall, I share the, uh, what shall I compare this generation? As we enter this last section, you don't hear this. You don't understand. If you really heard this understood, when you, got, you wouldn't be confused. You wouldn't be in this place where you're like, how come my life isn't just dandy and perfect? These things aren't working out the way I thought it would work out. A lot of hardships are coming my way, Jesus. I don't. Hear what you're saying. I don't understand. And so Jesus compares this generation to children who are playing games. Remember when you were a kid? uh, Perhaps you played house as a kid. So a bunch of kids would get together, and then you would decide who would play what role. I'll be the dad. I'll be the mom. I'll be the son or daughter. I'll be the neighbor. Whatever it is. You get to decide, and you start playing house but it's all practice because the real thing, even kids know, the real thing is going to come. It's to prepare for adulthood or the real thing. So what they would do is they would pretend to play the flute, or maybe they had a little toy flute, whatever it is, and if they pretended to play the flute, you'd have to dance because that's what you did at celebrations. That was the game. At celebrations, people played the flute and you danced. or if they played a dirge, that would be a sad song. That would be a funeral song. You'd cry. (laughs) I don't know, like, you'd pretend to cry because that's what you did at funerals. And Jesus is saying, if you don't understand this, if you can't hear what he is saying, you are like the ones who just can't hear Because you are the ones that refuse to participate. You are the ones that just refuse to participate. Because why? You're just too cool for school. You know those kids. They don't play those games. I'm too cool for this. I'm out. This is kid stuff. And you're like, yeah, it's kid stuff, but you're a kid. What's going on? But you also know those adults. Adults that think they're too cool for school. John King. And he said, you need to repent and be baptized. That was the message. You need to repent and be baptized and he lived like a modern day monk. And you know what they call them? They call them demon possessed. Whew, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a crazy guy. Jesus comes and you know he says the same thing. The message is the same as what Jesus is saying. He and I have the same message and because he's the Messiah and the bridegroom, you know what? You'd celebrate. You wouldn't live like a monk-like life. You wouldn't be in a dirge. Now it would be a flute. You would celebrate. But you know what you call them? You call them a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There's just no winning with you. You're just so stubborn. You're stubborn, hard-hearted children who refuse to obey. All you do is criticize and you voice your discontent no matter how ridiculous your discontent is. No matter how much your ideas are contradicting each other. No matter how many paradoxical ideas you house and people are pointing it out to you, you just whine and moan because you think you're so smart. <clears throat> That's the Eugene translation of that section right there. But isn't it true, though? We just whine and moan. We refuse to participate. When Jesus goes, do this, and, eh, not now. I'll, 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 I'll dance if the song's a little better. Song changes. Eh, not that good either. I don't like the singer, you know? Why, why, why is he gotta look like that? I don't like his face. Anyway, it's, uh, whatever. But uh, yeah, when I was growing up, I lived in a not so good place. In that culture, the place was nice. I, I love Queens, but um, people used to pick on each other and get into fights because we would just go up. to like I don't like your face, and then you know you have to fight because there's nothing you could say to get out of that. It's like we can, can't change the face, so I guess you just don't like me no matter what I do. Um, But that was the way it was. There's nothing that you could do because you're just so stubborn. But Jesus ends it this way. He ends it this way. He goes, but wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's it. That's it. That's the only sentence you get. You're stubborn. You're whining. You're moaning. Nothing is satisfying you. Nothing that we do is going to make you repent. It's not going to make you get baptized. Nothing that we do, it, like John and, John and Jesus, nothing they say is going to change your mind because you refuse to participate. He ends, he gives this one line. But wisdom is justified by her deeds. True wisdom is vindicated by its fruit, by what it produces. In Luke, in chapter 7, it says, its children, wisdom is vindicated by Her children. So now we get to the heart of the matter. What's the heart of the matter? Sin hardens the heart. It doesn't matter what song is played, you refuse to dance, you refuse to mourn. It doesn't matter what method or means that were used, you refuse to repent. You just criticize what Jesus says, what his prophets say, and there is no change or fruit in your life. You still sin and continue to sin, thereby waging war against God. Your life is full of contradicting ideas, and you refuse to let them go, even though you know deep inside you're wrong, but you're stubborn. And the sad part is that you may know you're stubborn because wisdom is justified by her deeds, but you don't have any deeds You don't have that changed heart, the sigh of relief that you desperately want. If this is true for you, then take the wisdom that the scriptures offer you today. If this is true for you, you continue to sin, and you see your heart is stubborn, and you see your heart is not right When you should be celebrating, just can't celebrate. When you should be mourning, just can't mourn. When the Bible says you should do this, just can't do it. My heart's not there. If this is true for you, then take the wisdom that the Scriptures offer you today. And what is that? Bring what is confusing. And instead of trying to stubbornly live it out to no avail, bring it to Jesus, just as John did. Bring your confusion Bring your misunderstandings. Bring your anger. Bring your anxiety. Bring your frustration. Bring all of it and bring it to Jesus. You know, he's strong enough to take it. And you know what's the amazing thing about bringing things to Jesus? He doesn't point them back at you. He doesn't go, okay, now that you brought these things to me, you got to fix this, fix this, fix this, and then I'll talk to you. You know what he says to John? You know what he did to John when John asked him these things? Jesus pointed to his work. Jesus pointed to himself. Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture, and he's showing us that's reality. When we start listening to Jesus, guess what? Our gaze starts not getting transfixed. It was transfixed on something else. It was transfixed on ourselves or our navels, whatever it was. When we start listening to Jesus, our gaze starts going up. And we start seeing something greater than us. All the things that didn't make sense. Do you know why? Do you know why things don't make sense? Because we're sinners, we're imperfect. Not just imperfect like, man, I'm really shining except I have one spot. Like imperfect, like, like stained badly. But Jesus' life did make sense because Jesus' life was perfect. And the free gift of God is that now he not only shows it to us, by, like showing it to John, he gives it to us. And through the power of his life, we are changed. It's nothing that we could have done on our own. It's nothing we could have figured out on our own. Otherwise, we would have figured it out way before. You know how many thousands of years people thought they thought they figured it out that they didn't figure out. They're still dead. They're still buried. They still have tombstones. They couldn't figure it out. But Jesus did figure it out. And he gives us His life. As long as humans have lived, they could not figure out how to live in the perfect reality. And now in Jesus, we are shown a better way. So bring your confusion to Him. He will show you a better way because He is the way. Praise God. Let's pray.